You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Woohoo! Impeachment Part Two. <laughs> Um, impeachment to electric boogaloo <laughs> yeah we were watching some coverage before we started our teen wolf uh watching today and can't believe we're doing that for a second time i can't have kids what if they ask <laughs> me about this time in our country's history mommy in the world's history like i'm just gonna i'll just black out and fall over no they're gonna have to write papers and they'll be like mommy what was coronavirus like and i'll be like i need a xanax yeah <laughs> before we start talking about that yeah well it started with whipped coffee (laughs) i actually really liked the whipped coffee i wish we could return to such simpler days i liked making bread um making bread felt a lot less disastrous than like the impending doom that we all feel right now Mm -hmm. everybody i think at the beginning of quarantine was just like this is time to invest in my interests and now we're like i want to die yeah well, we wanted, we were terrified, but we were mm-hmm. like, I will not be terrified because I will make bread. Yeah. Yes. And we are also speaking as like non-essential workers who are like stuck in our parents' house. It was a privileged version of quarantine. It was. We did make the whipped coffee. I did not make I, the whipped coffee. I made the whipped coffee. It looked gross. There's a lot of sugar in it. Yeah. I can't relate. I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but most people look at me when I say like, oh God, I could never drink sugary coffee. And they're like, really? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. icky. I like it that it's bitter. I know. (laughs) To most people. Well, you know, in Ethiopia, they drink coffee with salt in it, black with salt. It's like meant to be a savory drink. I feel like if that is how you are raised to have coffee, then cool. Yeah. I I, mean, I I, certainly wasn't raised in Ethiopia, but I'm interested in the the history. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that that would ever be an interest of mine. But also, is Starbucks to blame? Mm -hmm. I think maybe, maybe. Maybe it is. Um, but like all kinds of places have like weird drink history, like Mexico being the advent of hot chocolate. And where does this episode of Teen Wolf start? In Mexico with the spicy hot chocolate, which is the best kind of hot chocolate for the record. Um, yeah, we have a lot to say and a lot to get through in this season opener. We haven't had like exactly three episodes that take place off the grid in Teen mm-hmm. Wolf. Yeah. Uh, and one is the bus episode that I can never remember the name of. I, nope. Yeah. Hoop-de-doop. The one before Motel California. Motel California <laughs> and this one. And it is always really interesting to me when we take time away from Beacon Hills because it sort of um, re-centralizes the uh, show to character as opposed to setting. Mm-hmm. And I am interested in that. And I think that was a really interesting way to start the season. I agree, especially because the way that season three ends, it's so heavy. Oh, yeah. It's so much like you have Allison dying, you have the final showdown with the Nagitsune. Um, and I think it was really smart to just kind of decide well, we're not going to deal with that right now. We're going to jump forward into the future no context until a little tiny flashback um, because they have different things to worry about now. Um, And there is like fallout Mm -hmm. from season three, but I thought it was really smart to just kind of like reset. I agree. Teen Wolf watchers. And we're going to reset this season here on the Teen Wolf Rewolf, a podcast where we talk about Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. 
We're ready to rock and roll, right? Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we were totally, like, in our last episode being like, I'm just so not excited for season four. What a letdown. Her <laughs> this episode was so fun. It we were is... both so gripped, and it's, like, really, like, um, artistically interesting, and it's not very plot-heavy, so you just get to be, like, in the zone of the episode. I had so much fun. I did, too. I think that comes down a lot to the fact that Jeff Davis and Angel Harvey wrote this episode, and they wrote almost all of season three. Um, and Russell Mulcahy directed it, so it looked great. Yeah. I will, we'll talk about the sepia tone. Mm, yeah. E- Let's just say yeah. that most of it looked great and we have some quibbles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a good way to kick off the season. Mm-hmm. It, it got me excited. Um, I, I kind of, um... I feel like I always think that there's such a great degree of separation between three and four, but you forget that so much of four is about season one. Mm-hmm. It yeah. really is in, in, in such a cool way. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, Us being here sitting, Team Wolf doesn't care about continuity. They do. They kind of they do. They kind of do. It's just when the mistakes are there, they're egregious. They're glaring. Yeah. yeah. Um, but before we get too far into it, we do have to do a recap I don't know who went first on the last one, so we're going to ask Rock, Paper, Scissors this one, which I always <laughs> friggin' lose. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe okay. it'll be an off day yeah. for me. Daggummit! <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I was so close to picking Rock. I picked Paper, She Picked Scissors, and I am stupid. I really... I, I wonder if there's, like, an academic paper of, like, the brain waves in your, in your brain. I bet um, it's a about, personality test yeah, about what you pick. Like what you train yourself into doing first, you know? Interesting, but I feel like I pick a different thing every time. I feel like I do not, so pro tip for next time. Mm, all right. I won't remember. I will not remember because it will be a season from now the next time we have to rock, paper, scissors. But That's true. Fine, I'll go first. Okay. Um, are you ready for the 60-second recap? Season 4, episode 1. Yes. Okay. Three, two, one. So the episode starts with Styles and Lydia in Mexico, and they're like, this is a really bad plan, and then they roll up to uh, what is like an underground nightclub, and they somehow get in, and then they like go and find um, the uh, Calavera lady whose first name I can never remember, and um, uh, they're like, we have $50,000, you give us Derek Hale, and she's like, ha ha ha, no, 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 and then they're like, we didn't come alone, and then she captures Scott, and then we figure out that because she sprays him with like Wolfsbane potion or whatever, that they don't actually have Derek, and then they try to torture Scott, or they make uh, Malia torture Scott into trying to figure out who actually took Derek and they figure out it's Kate and also like they do some investigating with Lydia and then they they say you've got to go to La Iglesia which is this church that's where like Derek and Kate were last seen and you have to go and hunt them down and Braden guides them there and then they get attacked by berserkers and then they are in the church and they like dig through the wall and Scott growls and then when they dig through the growl through the wall they find uh baby Derek with eight seconds to spare cool I mean I missed a lot yeah but you were you were going. I I was in the zone. But again, not a very plot heavy episode. You have said in the zone twice now, and all I can hear is auto zone. Oh, I don't. Is that the, an ad? The get in the zone auto zone. Oh, okay. Well, I'm um, I'm sure I don't watch a lot of TV, nor do I listen to the radio. So no, I think it's a radio thing. It's like Summit Place Kia. Oh, which is a reference for no one. A reference for like, <laughs> but the Summit Place Kia thing is for like people not on my side of where we're from. Yeah, that doesn't play on like the radio stations I listen to. It's it's bizarre. I heard like a, a different version of it over the holidays and I was scandalized. It is really funny how you have localized radio ads that are just with you forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there's this like pretty racist ad that used to play on like the pop channel that like was like, we don't need play rap, any of that shitty rap music. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't, because they were like, that's 
bad. There was a lot of like weird antagonism towards rap in like 05, even though it was dominating the charts. It was like yeah, punk versus. What was it about 2005 rap. that was somehow like the most homophobic, <laughs> misogynistic, racist year on record? And I, then Crash won Best Picture. <laughs> I really feel like if you're watching a movie and you're like, this just seems really, really a lot, a lot. to me. Yeah. It is made between the years of 2005 and 2007. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh-huh. a lot. Uh, oh, by the way, this episode is called The Dark Moon. We oh. could have mentioned that Shoot. at any point. But we're mentioning well, we it We mentioned now. who it was written by and yeah. who directed it. So, so I thought we got it out of the way. Yeah. Um, that thing about 2005, though, really, <laughs> you'll hear like a really like uncouth joke in a movie. And you're like, when was this written? <laughs> the 80s? No, 2005. <laughs> no, it's uh, deeply, deeply unfortunate. Um, okay. So I did fine. You'll probably do better. Um, mm, okay. I, you really do get a leg up, though, when you go second. Yes. Um, I also took notes. Oh. <laughs> Fine. Okay, so. maybe that's my fault that I don't take notes. Um, are you ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Okay, so all of a sudden we're in Mexico. Styles and Lydia are trying to get into a party, and they flash their little fun little card. Um, they're looking for Derek. There's, like, a fun little weird sexy dance with Malia and Kira because they're on the dance floor. Um, Scott and Kira and Malia figure out uh, how to fight off all the people who are coming up to the dance floor, but then they get stopped by um the wolfsbane and then like oh well you don't have Derek. and then there's a bunch of torture um where kira is like i'm gonna torture you and then yvonne cole the actress wants to know like where kate is and lydia can't tell her so then she's like go go with brayden to the church um the jeep breaks down and stas is trying to fix it and there's something out there in the darkness um that probably stopped the jeep um and then brayden and then scott are trying to go after uh, Kate in La Iglesia and then they find this really creepy uh, thing that's following them and Brayden tries to kill it and he can't she can't uh, and then Scott does his little alpha roar uh, and the berserker goes away and we find Derek young baby Derek inside uh, a wall and then they all meet up well, together you did it yeah thank you I you was... uh, you really made the most of those eight seconds that I didn't <laughs> use because your details were like way higher um I feel like I'm so used to in Teen Wolf episodes like it being really plot heavy and being like oh my god I'm gonna forget something super crucial but a lot of this was just vibes yeah I was cool with it yeah although now I keep thinking about how Crash won best picture and I'm gonna be <laughs> mad about it Crash warned us about Green Book mm-hmm yeah yeah <laughs> And yet I have a friend's mom who was like, after she saw green book in theaters and she was like, I'm pretty sure this was a movie for trying to reform racist kindergartners. (laughs) (laughs) Now that, um, we've had the infamous La La Land moonlight mix up. I just expect it to happen every year for them to be like, oops, (laughs) just kidding. But it was parasite last year. So we were good. So it was fine. The, the order was restored for exactly one second. I really do think about how absolutely insane the Oscars are going to be this year. The Zoom Oscars? Yeah. Supposedly they're being directed by Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> <laughs> if they are not fun as shit, I'm going to be really mad. Um, uh, Ocean's Eleven, parentheses, Oscars, Oscars Eleven. <laughs> I am legitimately excited about it now that you've said that. I got to look that up to make sure I'm not just um, talking shit, but... Uh, I, I, I think that's what I heard. Unfortunately, I really feel like the Golden Globes are not going to be as fun as usual because people aren't in a room drinking with no food like they usually are. Yeah. The best part about, uh, the Golden Globes is that everybody is absolutely shit faced by the end. Yeah. Um, 
It seems like a really good time, though. I'm not going to lie. But if I were attending the Golden Globes, I would pack a snack. Um, yeah, they say that, like, the Oscars uh, are, like, the absolute worst because you just sit there for hours, mm-hmm. like, in your tiny dress and, like, being cold and, like, Yeah, because think of whatever. all those awards that they, like, don't show us on TV. Yeah. But you have to sit there through them. If you're present. Um, I just, uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, so I think that the show is being produced by Steven Soderbergh. Hmm. Yeah. We'll see. I'm very into that. We'll see. Yeah. Um, Brie Teen Wolf. Sorry. Yeah. I just, I keep thinking about the Oscars because they, they really feel like they set the tone of the year for me because I am stupid enough to care about them. And it's just going to be so different this year. Uh, slash also in our Twitter poll, y'all said you wanted more nonsense. So yeah, whoever said more political commentary, you are the one and only (laughs) one person said it and it wasn't me. (laughs) We are trying so hard not to think about politics all the time no we're not no i mean we are engaged it just hurts my brain yeah um so then let's take take a little break and we're gonna talk about teen wolf uh we're gonna talk about this week's episode through the theme of risk mm-hmm. um i'm pretty sure we talked about the board game the, last episode the board game that your dad makes you play and it takes five hours and no one's friends afterwards people yeah. really do think that like monopoly ruins families nothing ruins families like risk Okay, so my family does not play board games because our favorite pastime is just picking a subject and arguing mm-hmm. about like totally innocuous garbage. So if we played board games, we would end the family. So that's it, it, we just don't do it. Um, I played a, a game while I was visiting my friend that I actually thought that you slash your family might really like. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what it's called. It's called the bean game. And it's like you are farming beans and you have to negotiate with the other people at the table about like what beans they'll give you. And it sounds really dumb. No, this sounds like my family would be very invested in the bean game. It's like you're sitting there and you're like, "Mm, I have four red beans. What will you give me for your blue bean? Like, it is so fun. I'm in. I'm in. Um, Anyway, so we're talking about Risk, not Mm -hmm. the board game, because that game sucks. Uh, And uh, people are taking big risks. It it kind of feels like... um, a little bit after last season, we've experienced sort of what is the greatest loss that they can all experience. It a little bit feels like all bets are off, you know? Yeah. Well, that's like after a major event or like after a major grief, people are like, don't make any big decisions in like the first six months. Like, don't go crazy because that is people's natural inclination. They're like, I feel so icky. Like, I feel so bad that I just need to make a bunch of crazy choices. Or it's like, you know, when girls get broken up with and they cut their hair. Yeah kind of a thing uh, on like a less serious note yeah but no anytime you get a text it's like i think i'm changing my hair you're like oh what happened what happened yeah yeah um so that's kind of what's happening to all of our characters who have been through so much yeah and i think that any sort of emotional instability will make you make like take stupid risks Mm -hmm. um i can just think of several just bad weeks i had in college (laughs) where i just started ruining my own life yeah um, and I don't think that that's quite what's happening here. Clearly these risks are with purpose, but they're not calculated. Um, and we kind of see that at the beginning. So let's kind of talk about Styles and Lydia a little bit. He does not want to be there. He is absolutely not wanting to take this risk and Lydia's, or no, she does not want to be there. Yeah. She is like, this is a bad idea. We're all going to die. Speaking as a banshee, we're all going to die. This is a bad idea. And he's like, well, we got to find Derek. So... 
you know, that we're risking it for the biscuit, and I don't know what to tell you, Lydia. I think that, like, the agony that Styles was in for th- all of 3B, he's been released from that now, and he's like, I care about nothing. Like, I mean, I care, but I am, uh, you know, I'm ready to feel things again. You know what I think it is a little bit? Hmm. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to make good on what mm. I what I did, you know, over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and if that means, you know, putting himself in danger to save Derek, he's going to do it. And we are now officially starting to see the shift in Styles' tone about Derek. We're like... He cares that Derek might be dead, whereas, like, we really could not say that in, like, 3A when he was like, I'm pretty sure Derek is the, you know, the rock or whatever. Yeah. It's weird. I think we could still make the argument that Styles cares that much because Scott clearly cares, clearly cares about Derek and Scott is the leader of the pack. Um, but, you know, I think when you lose people, you start to pull the other folks in your life much closer and... Like it or not, Derek is part of the pack. Yeah. And, you know, I do also think that we see Styles taking risks uh, in order for the other people around him to not take them. He has been very, like, very, very protective of Malia, mm-hmm. um, which is like we really see her in her true form in this episode. And it's like delightful. I mentioned to you earlier that, like, it's kind of nice to have a character without sort of empathy again. Like, Jackson kind of served that place where he was just sort of completely out of it to how other people interact with each other and would just say crazy shit. And now Malia's like, I would leave Lydia in the dirt, but I wouldn't leave you. And she, like, really, like, has worked through that being like, that's, like, totally logical. It's very much like the Sleepy Hollow effect of, like, someone who has just missed, like, growing up or culture for like eight years. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Styles is is willing to to put himself in the line. In fact, he even stops at one point fixing the Jeep because he thinks he's gonna go out and like run after whatever evil thing is chasing them. Yeah. Which is like Styles, what the hell are you gonna do? You have a wrench. <laughs> to be fair, he is usually willing to do that, um, but I think it feels more urgent to him now. Especially because he has a significant other mm-hmm. this is the first time we've seen styles with like a partner and love makes you go nutso yeah um and he doesn't there's no clarity in his thinking that's also something that i love that um isn't really about risk but i really love like when we have done a time jump and there's a new relationship and we don't need the backstory because we have one with them having been in Eichenhaus, but we don't see like any really of the development of that relationship post mental hospital. Um, and it's just boom. Yeah. I'm cool with it. I'm so fine with it. And I, I like it. Yeah. Especially because I think even now, you know that that relationship is not the end all be all, but it is going to be really important to both of their characters moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really need the whole like one true love thing, but I am like uh, very intrigued in how they progress on a personal level as we move through this season. Yeah, and clearly, Styles part of that progression is um, overprotectiveness and taking risks. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lydia, the entire episode is completely anti-risk. Lydia, um, like everyone else, um, she just lost her best friend. Yeah, um, she has been through so much I mean like the emotional toll of worrying about Styles and trying to fix him really obviously uh got to her and like being tormented by the Nagitsune like I think Lydia just wants to not have to deal with more crap 
yeah, at this point. I think she would do anything for peace. And uh, to her, the, the easiest way to get there is to just not engage with, you know, anything that will upset that. And that's really even apparent when she is in the conversation with, um, can you look up her name? Yeah. Uh, Yvonne Call is fantastic. She's so we good. We just can never remember It starts with an A, doesn't character's it? character's first name. Mm, <laughs> Alba is the character she plays on Jane the Virgin. Uh, hold on. Keep talking. Um, but when she's in, when they pull Lydia separate from the group to try to uh, figure, basically figure out about Banshees, and Lydia's like, I don't even know anything about Banshees. I'm so new at this. Like, I just mm-hmm. got here. And she is asking her, Lydia. Alma. No, wait. No. Araya. Araya, that's she, it. Hold on. I'm sorry. In her... <laughs> In her uh, filmography, she plays a Adriana, an Araya, an Alma, and an Alba. So it's not that <laughs> insane that I can't remember her. No, it's not. It's not. Her name is Araya Calavera. Okay, so Araya, when she's in her conversation with Lydia, is trying to push Lydia into picking which of the men in front of them is going to die. And Lydia, I think to her, thinks that if she doesn't pick, if she doesn't you know, tell who she senses is going to die, because we see Lydia sense it, um, no one is going to die, but mm-hmm. like Araya's going to kill that guy anyway. But Lydia is really just can't engage with anything that she thinks might put somebody's life on the line and is horrified to find out that, that what that guy did was steal from her. And I don't know what he stole. Um, but mm-hmm. probably not worth killing someone. Probably not. Um, it's very interesting because in season three, we were watching Lydia try so hard to get a grip on her banshee powers so that she could use them to help. And then ultimately, um, it, it must feel like to her that she didn't save anyone. So what good is it being a banshee? Yeah. It, like, should, do I even bother cultivating these powers anymore because clearly like I'm not helping or even sort of the resignment to like knowing that somebody is going to die doesn't mean that you can always change it Mm -hmm. or in fact maybe she thinks that you can't change it and she just has to always be the bearer of bad news Um, which is something she's been feeling for a long time yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and we knew that in season in in the the end of the last season when she's leaving all those notes telling everyone to stay away from her yeah um which is interesting to me. We are also seeing interesting risks taken by Scott. He is stepping into his sort of alphaism in a way that we really haven't seen before in kind of like a devil may care type of way. Um, he is, I don't necessarily know if like season three, a or like two Scott would throw everybody, all of his pack into this um, situation. Mm-hmm. He very much for a long, long time was like, I have to do this on my own so that nobody else gets put in danger. And obviously he has some very strong players on his team because like Kira is more powerful than anyone combined. Yeah. And he's got, uh, Malia, mm-hmm. but I don't, it's interesting to me to put styles and Lydia so close to the action. He, I think is taking a risk. I think because he's very assured of his power at this point. Um, and there has to be a little bit of like, we've just faced our biggest challenge yet. This isn't going to be what that was. Um, and he's also, you know, when he goes through that, when they're torturing him or when the Calaveras make, um, uh, Kira like turn up the electricity dial so that they don't electrocute Lydia. He's just letting it happen. Like he's not even really trying to negotiate that. Cause he's like, I can take it. I can take it. I can take it. And that is a very interesting sort of step away from like a, the reservations. I think Scott used to hold. 
I think the fact that throughout most of 3B and partially in 3A where he feels so powerless in the face of the evil that they're facing and particularly because in 3B his love for Styles blinded him to actually being able to help mm-hmm. and that put him in, in a place of like being completely powerless in the face of the Nugitsune and so now that that danger has passed I think there's um, just like he is looking at his pack a little differently because they were all there at the end trying to save the Nugitsune and he probably wouldn't be alive without his friends. Styles certainly wouldn't be. And I also think that part of growing as a leader, just kind of in general, not specific to Scott necessarily, is learning to trust the people that you surround yourself with and intentionally cultivating that group uh, to people that you, you can give those tasks to. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and eventually this won't feel like a risk at all. But just sort of what we're moving from into season four, it does feel like I don't, I wouldn't, he wouldn't have put the pieces on the board like this in, Mm -mm. you know, in previous seasons. And that's really interesting to me. And he also is becoming a lot more secure in his own power. You know, when he growls or howls at the berserker in La Iglesia, I don't know how sure he was that that was going to do anything, but he feels confident that he scared it away. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is really interesting for me to to watch Scott walk into a room and think that in his heart, that he is the most powerful person there. It's very cool. And we learn later that he really can't overpower the berserkers because they are unstoppable. So effing terrifying. Quick note on, on artistic design, the berserkers terrifying they are so well designed. It is so, 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 so scary. The way that like the bones that they're wearing clack and we hear that and we like see the things shifting and like all the things involved in like the and Berserker costume. They're so big. They're they take up an immense huge. amount of space. It is so cool. So interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the things about Scott and the pack, I think is so interesting to compare to like the hunters because they are a well-oiled machine like hunters who have been doing this for a long time who train their children in it it's almost like a military organization um like there's hierarchy there's rules um they work really well together yeah like chris refers to like the argents as soldiers yes you know and i think that there's more of that kind of attitude about the mccall pack at that point because they kind of they know their strengths and weaknesses at this point they know what role they have to play in whatever shenanigans the pack gets up to. Um, so I think that not that they're becoming more and more like the hunters, but they're becoming more of a cohesive unit. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. Uh, do you have anything else to say on the risks that Scott is taking? Oh, you know what is a risk he doesn't take? He doesn't kiss Kira. He doesn't kiss Kira. Which we could He's not like, remember. I will send you people to your death. Oh my God. Kissing a girl. That's so <laughs> <What>? embarrassing. <laughs> There's a very uh, emotional hug that goes on, which as people who have been like in quarantine, I don't know how you felt about this, but, but I was, I was like, I miss hugging. Yeah. I miss hugging. I miss just like being able to casually touch people. Yeah. Um, so weird how COVID has, my like, manager pat me on the shoulder the other day and I was like, get away, Jeremy. Don't touch, don't me. touch me. I'm not trying to die. Yeah. Um, so that was, I probably would not have felt as strongly about that hug were it not in the time of COVID, but 
No, but it also was a very, very charged hug. Mm-hmm. Um, emotionally, not really sexually. <laughs> no. Just to get that across. But I also think that sometimes hugs are underutilized. Yes. Yes. They clearly care about each other so much. Mm-hmm. And Kira does her cute little babbling thing where she's like, I know that be careful is like so lame. I'm going to think of something great as soon as you move away. And he's like, be careful. Kira, great. you are the most endearing person. <laughs> she's so, so sweet. Um, and Scott doesn't take the opportunity or the risk to kiss her. And no. Brayden calls him out on it. She does. But I also think that that is the biggest risk he could possibly take is opening his heart back up after losing Allison. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is immeasurable pain that I would never willingly sign myself up for that quickly. Yeah. Um, and it just so happens that he was already forming this relationship with Kira before uh, Allison's passing, and that makes it all the more complicated. It's really hard to want to take a risk there. Mm-hmm. And Braden calling him out on it, I was like, hey, he's suffering. He's sad. Yeah. You don't know where he's been through. Yeah. What he's been through. I mean, Brayden's been through some shit. Look at the scars on her neck. <laughs> yeah. Um, that That is true. Uh, yeah, Scott could have, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I think your point about opening himself back up again being really scary is spot on. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Kira. She is not taking... Um, immense risks in this episode on her own volition she's there but she does have to just choose to electrocute scott in order to save lydia's life yeah um she has no choice and even in a situation with no choice like that is a risk that she's taking um and he assures her that he's fine but doing that like letting yourself do that is a big emotional risk for yourself like you are she is gonna feel guilty and like experience internal pain because of that um and scott will obviously heal Mm -hmm. because but the only like the alternative to scott you know being hurt and healing is lydia dying and that is a really really scary position that kira gets put in Mm -hmm. well because and we've seen before on teen wolf that like even though you don't have control your actions still have consequences. Like the whole situation with, um, Isaac and Allison, um, she doesn't really, she doesn't really seem to trust him after that. Or she feels like really weird and awkward about it, even though she knows mm-hmm. that it wasn't, he wasn't doing it on purpose that he had no control. Yeah. So there are well-established consequences to that kind of action in Teen Wolf. Yeah. And Kira, you can tell how much it's paining her. Yeah. To yeah. do that to Scott. I also think it's a risk for Kira to give that little like be careful speech because I don't think, I think she knows that it is a big step over somebody's boundary to, to insert herself in where Scott's at emotionally. But she also does really care about him and wants to express that and can't find the way to do it in a way that doesn't feel probably to her like, um, you know, inconsiderate or even Mm -hmm. like predatory over somebody who's emotionally really fragile. And you see that in her babbling because Kira's, babbling is always a response to discomfort well we've seen before in her relationship to the pack how she really feels like she's on the outside because literally she's the new kid in school i'm Um, kira i'm new (laughs) (laughs) um and she's a part of the pack now she's in mexico with them she's like helping them figure it out but there still seems to be that kind of barrier um and so she's risking her own feelings to be a part of this group that she has do you know who Kate is yeah she doesn't know the relationship that these people have to each other 
Also, the immense risk that Kira and Malia just put in Scott and Styles by coming with them and then having to basically get the entire, like, surmised backstory from Lydia in the back of a Jeep that has no backseats. How the hell did they make it over the border? Uh, that's a great question. Who, who knows? Um, yeah, it, it's very interesting to, because obviously we all know what happened in the season one. We know who Kate is, but... Kira really doesn't, and neither does Malia. Mm-mm. So she, they're they're putting all of their trust in Scott, who is perhaps not the most stable person at the moment. No, and then the other trust going to Styles, who just got done being possessed. Um, yeah, so he's not um, great. No, <laughs> but he's okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about Malia. Mm-hmm. She is really, and like, this is a little actually similar to Scott. She is, it is really, really hard for her to open her heart to the people around her because in, as she says, the coyote world, it is eat or be eaten. And And she was a coyote for eight eight years. years. Yeah. And she played, she's playing by animal kingdom rules. And she, I think we see a major progression through that. We still see some really good fun Malia moments throughout this where like, she really can't connect with people in any kind of level and the main reason was to why she can you know put faith in styles is because he was the first person to express interest in wanting to protect her and be with her and until the other people can do as much for her as styles has in like putting her at ease she has no obligation to them like internally Mm -hmm. and yet is still you know risking things for other people she risks a lot for styles by running out into the desert after the berserkers very scary. Very, very scary. I think in general, Malia's whole existence as a human, as opposed to a coyote, is a huge risk. Like, yeah, she doesn't know how to go back to being a coyote at this point, I don't think. Um, but she had no no earthly way of knowing how any of this would play out for her. No, no. And so she's risking it every day. And she wanted to go back to being a coyote. Mm-hmm. And I think that now she has, you know, enough of a relationship with Styles and enough of a life as a human to not feel like she needs to just up and leave. Um, yeah. I wish but I think seen, she keeps the option a little bit open. I wish we had seen a little bit more interaction between Scott and Malia in this particular episode, just because he um, clearly was the one who was giving her werewolf school. Yes. Um, so it would have been nice to see, like... I, I guess she follows along because she cares about Styles, but there also has to be a certain amount of allegiance to Scott. Well, Styles brings that up when they yeah. when they have their little smooch, which was really cute. Because you know why it was so cute is because it almost identically mirrors the Styles Lydia kiss. Yes, on like, the floor focus. of a bathroom and everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Good Teen Wolf. Yeah, good Teen Wolf continuity. And they knew that we liked that kiss, and they were like, "We'll do it again." And we were like, yeah, I like that one too. Not as much, but I liked it. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but yeah, she is like, she has to do some like major PYOTing, put you, putting yourself out there these days and putting yourself out there is the scariest thing you can possibly do. It's so embarrassing. No one wants to be perceived. No. <laughs> <laughs> I say as somebody trying to pursue an acting career, I'm like, don't look at me. Uh, you can't even see my headshots. Especially... Especially during COVID. I'm like, don't perceive me. I'm not real. The best part about wearing the masks is just being like the invisible man. 
No one knows what my face looks like. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Men will still find a way to yell at me on the street, though. So, like, that can't be solved. You know what? The devil is always at work. Truly. COVID works hard. <laughs> the devil works. But scary so white harder. men. Yeah. Don't work as hard, but are still evil. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Calaveras. They are putting risk into the world in several ways. Mm-hmm. They string Scott, they string Styles and Scott and, and Lydia along to believe that they have Derek when they don't, which is a gamble. Yeah, it's a gamble because any at any time their bluff bluff can be called, and it is. Um, but they also release the gang back out into the desert, and they're like, "Please take care of our problem and never bother us again, and then we won't kill you." And mm. They are set, honestly, like, to them, not, like, in life, to them, it is a risk to send Scott into the world because Araya knows that Scott's next step is an alpha. She can see it is going to be taking, a, you know, biting uh, an innocent and taking on a pack member that he creates. Mm-hmm. And because that is against their code, it's a risk for her to put him out into the desert, you know? Oh, yeah. It's also a risk for her to assume like I don't unless I'm wrong I don't really think she knows um Scott's particular relationship with Kate Mm -hmm. so she doesn't know that Scott hates her Uh, no I think she does she does yeah okay um no I just think it's very very interesting that they're like hmm well we'll just let the teenagers do it because it could backfire horribly it does. He does bite an innocent. Um, Liam, he's Liam, coming. Baby. <laughs> Woo, here comes the special boy. I just I adore him. Um, yeah, and uh, if Scott fails to kill Kate, uh, they still have a problem. Yes. So it's not like they're not risking those kids' lives. I'm sure they don't even really care no. if Scott makes it out alive. But like... Uh, Kate is a huge threat to them. I actually think, like, sort of probably to the Calaveras, like, the biggest risk they put out there is Scott not killing Kate. Like, he dies, and then they're like, well, problem solved. Scott's Mm -hmm. dead. I mean, we still have to deal with that bitch, but (laughs) I guess we were trying to kill that kid anyway, so. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one of our other birds killed the bird instead of the stone. I, I don't know how to fix it, but... Well, we also don't know a whole lot about um, how many hunters there are in the world, but I think it's kind of risky to align yourself with a werewolf in any way. Yeah. So that is what they're doing when they ask Scott to do their dirty work for them, basically. Yeah. Who knows who could find out? True. Um, on the Calaveras. <clears throat> I know that we are meant to think, think that like most hunters just in this, in the way that we know that the Argents are arms dealers and sell weapons to the police yeah. are not morally in the best line of work outside of hunting. Equating the Calaveras to a cartel, which is what Teen Wolf does, is racist. <laughs> yes. It's like what they did to Diego Luna's character in Rogue One, where they were like, you don't need to know backstory on this character, but he sold drugs. Like, okay. Oh, no, I didn't need to know that. And it's racist. Yeah, hate that. Hate this. Hate it so Obviously, much. we don't see an exchange of drugs in any place, but the whole underground party thing, and the fact that these people don't clearly exist as a threat in society, as opposed to like an integrated part of society, like the origins kind of do, is like, hey, what... Right, right there is going on. I, we well, we watch um, Araya 
kill someone in broad daylight on the street. Yes. Um, and it, I think it's so frustrating because it is very interesting to have new mythologies brought on. But any time that we step outside, like the quote unquote Western canon of all of this, and we start to integrate like Aztec legend, which is what Kate is. She's a, a wear Jaguar, um, also called the Nawal, I mm-hmm. think. And, um, that is so cool and so interesting. And I'm like, also at the same time, how can you do it without it seeming racist? First of all, don't apply the sepia filter. Sepia filter. The sepia filter is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to be able to include that stuff. I think it's interesting. I think it's cool to pay attention to other mythologies. Yeah, and it was cool to be able to talk about Japanese mythology until they did put a love story in a concentration camp. And then we had to be like, hey. Hey. Like, wh- I just don't understand why they dropped the ball like that. Who, like, somebody read, give it to somebody to read first. Come on, man. Well, and that's what's crazy because um, as we were watching this, I was looking up, you know, Brayden's like, oh, this is the site of Sennachwal. And, like, she mentions the god um, that they worshipped. And all of that tracks. So clearly someone did research. Mm-hmm. Um, they just didn't think to make the Calaveras something else. They could have just been anybody's. They could have been anybody who is anybody. I mean, I'm kind of wondering, at one point, um, Araya is like, well, where did you get this money, the Japanese mob? So perhaps indicating that they are, like, somehow linked? Mm-hmm. Still not great, though. No. No, because that still implies, like... Racism. It, well, it <laughs> yeah. still implies cartels. Like, yeah. that's still the same. It's, yeah. it's bad. Um, I think we've pretty much moved into Q's nose, then. Mm-hmm. That was just a, a quick, that was a big, like, observation for what we're now doing. Yeah. Okay, do you have any questions about this episode? I don't. It I, was pretty straightforward. Very straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I bet I'll have a shitload of questions next episode when they start introducing things that I have to, like, remember, you know? Yeah. And then you'll be like, hmm. Hmm. We are officially, though, in the seasons of Teen Wolf that were airing when I was in college, and therefore I wasn't, like, appointment viewing. I have not rewatched this season since the first time I saw it so I have no idea what happens yeah I will we'll find out together Wolfpack very exciting meanwhile the season four stands are like hey (laughs) are there season four stands let us know I think the Malia's fans Mm, there are big Malia stands in the Wolfpack it uh it is her time to shine um do you have any observations um I want to talk about the little sexy Malia Kira dance if you weren't going to let it happen, don't do it. Don't do it. It's okay. When people talk about queer baiting in Teen Wolf and they like try to bring up Steric and stuff, I'm like, there are obvious examples of queer baiting in Teen Wolf that are like egregious and dumb, and this is one and that is not. Yeah. The, like, the outfits that they're wearing, the way that they're looking at each other, the way that the camera is like framing them in the shot, it's all so sexy. Yeah. And, uh... It's very frustrating to see something like that. Um, And not because like women don't dance with each other or like they can't have that kind of a relationship, but it, it very much seems like it is for the male gaze and for the male gaze only. Which is really weird for a show whose predominant viewership was women. Mm -hmm. And you were like, and a show run by a a gay man. Mm -hmm. Well, the, well also like, also I will say that a big part of Teen Wolf's audience was like, young queer women Mm -hmm. um but that's not really what they were looking for in the show especially if you weren't going to fulfill an actual like um like 
female relationship in the show, which never happened. It also feels weird coming off of that uh, little bit between Danny and um, Aiden, Ethan, Mm -hmm. Um, about being like, well, I can't date a werewolf. So you have, you haven't gotten rid of the gay character, but you have like split up that one gay couple Mm -hmm. that you had on the show. And then you put this in the, the season opener. And then it's not a couple because that, because those are actually like the worst part about it is like, that is Styles's girlfriend and Scott's girlfriend. Was that for them? What is happening in that moment? Yeah. It's, um, I didn't like it. I would have liked it had they done something with it. If one of those characters had been like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, bisexual at any point in the show, it would have been like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, I accept it. But given the fact was that there's no context to further help us understand what was happening beyond, look at these women. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. have any other uh, observations? Um, I, this is a silly observation, but I always love when Lydia's hair is up in her little braid crown. She's, um, it really frames Holland Roden's face very well. She yeah. looks very pretty. She looks great. Um, I, as previously mentioned, I love Yvonne Cole. I was so happy to have her have a little bit more of a part in this episode because we saw her previously with Derek. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love her she as an actor. She is very good. Uh, so that was really fun. Um, and again, like, let women be evil. Yeah. Let women be evil. I, I love an evil skank. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Um, and I, I, in general, thought that the production design on this episode was really good. Yeah. Yeah. In general. Um, with the exception of the filtering. Yeah. They could have just filmed it normally and it would have been like, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your observations? Okay. So one, I love when they were like, well, what did teenagers cross the border for if not to drink? <laughs> because uh, when you turn 19, where we're from, you go to Canada so you to can go drink. Trashed. Yeah. To go drinking, which is so funny. Mm-hmm. You're like... It's, like, a big thing uh, to, like, go get, like, a hotel room in Windsor for New Year's Eve when you're 19. Because you're like, yeah. I can drink over here. He-he. <laughs> and I was like, ah, uh, yeah. So a moment from my high school experience. That was early a college experience. Yeah. really great moment. I loved when Lydia dropped the bullet into the tequila shot. I assume it was tequila. Yes. Um, that was just so fun. Like, maybe Mezcal. I maybe, don't know. We don't um, know what region of Mexico they're in. Who's to say? Um, I love the design on the bullets. I love that there's, like, a skull yeah on yeah them. so cool it, it's meant to look like a sugar skull which yeah is, was really cool um oh speaking of the bullets the sound editing in the flashback scene yes was so good especially when she drops the bullets on the metal counter because mm-hmm. you know what it sounds like to drop something on those metal table like the veterinary tables um it was really good i think the foley in teen wolf is usually pretty good um there are only a few moments where it's not really and I think there was one particular episode in season three where I was like this Foley is absolutely ridiculous yeah but for the most part it's very very good it's funny I was thinking that because you've been watching through Supernatural Mm -hmm. the 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 fighting the fight scenes are so bad because all of the naps sound so fake yeah but like all of them in Teen Wolf land really well um there's a dedication to realism yeah um also, Supernatural is bad. <laughs> In we a good way. <laughs> don't need to get into that. We don't need to get into it. Um, but yeah, that was good. And there is a part in the rave where we're just hearing like the, um, we're just hearing Foley. Like we're just hearing footsteps and like fighting and the punching and stuff. And everyone is still dancing, but we don't hear the music anymore. And I was like, that is really smart. I good, love good, it. Good sound editing in this episode. Also, um, 
I loved the scene where Scott is going off to La Iglesia with Brayden and he's like, Styles, like, I'm not going without you, which is like, what is Styles gonna bring to the <laughs> equation? Scott just doesn't want to not take him. Scott like, can't think of a world in which he isn't able to protect Styles, you know, especially after last season. I mean, does the whole, like, no, not without you thing. And it's like, oh. Well, and, like, every time that Scott turned his back on Styles in the last episode, Styles did something really fucked up. So he can't, if he he can't watch him, what's Styles going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, um, you know, not necessarily applicable now that the Nogitsune is gone, but, like, you must have the specter of that looming over your relationship. Agreed. With Styles. Uh, A a sort of (laughs) converse uh, observation is when Malia is like, I wouldn't leave you, Styles. These two I would leave. And I was like, very funny. <laughs> it, is, it is truly also brilliant because I am a huge Scott and Malia shipper. I think that that was like the best Hail Mary pass they could have thrown at the end of the show. It's true. But it is super funny to me how like the person who loves the most ends up with the person who loves the least. <laughs> and I was like, perfect. They are meant for each other. I really do love the fact that um, Styles tries to mitigate that by being like, that's progress. That's progress. She's doing so good. We've worked on this. We've talked about it. The gang teaches a coyote empathy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, for pretty much the whole season. Yeah. That was the last of my observations. Did you have any more? I don't think so. Cool. Do you want to do pack stats? Let's do it. All right. Um, y'all, there were a lot of eyes in this episode. There were eight Wow. Instances. Well, because there's a fun little like superhero opening movie moment at the beginning where they're like, you didn't think we brought help and it flashes to everybody's glowing eyes. Yeah. Avengers who? Um, I, I sound like I'm like, I didn't enjoy it, but I did. Um, and then, you know, Scott roars. There's a lot of, a lot of eyes going on. One clause when we have a little flashback to the Calaveras stealing Kate's body. Very cool, by the way. Yes. That is so gross. I love that. Absolutely disgusting. She looks so clean. Um, and then we're counting the rave as one shirt off. A lot of Nikki, but it was only, it was a lot of background to Nikki. So yeah. Yep. And um, there have not been any sirens while we've been recording this that's episode. far. The radiator, on the other hand. Is being loud. Yeah. Um, that's okay. It's good the radiator's on because it is a whopping zero degrees Fahrenheit here. So Yes. Thumbs up. We love it here. Um, we, this was a choice. <laughs> a choice we made that we must suffer through every day. Um, well, cool. Do you have an alpha of the week? Hmm. Yeah, no. I'm not sure. Uh I mean, I feel like it's maybe Scott. Yeah. Probably Scott. I feel like for most starting episodes, it's going to be Scott. He endures mm-hmm. like a bunch of torture and then like... Goes on to save baby Derek. Yeah. From whatever Kate was yes. going to do to him. Mm-hmm. The return of my cousin Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Yes. Um, yeah, I'll give it to Scott. There's not really mm-hmm. anybody else who's standing out in a way where I'm like, give it to the girls. I mean, yeah. I'm just going to give it we to the girls. the girls. Love the girls. But today scott can have his flowers yes um great i think that about wraps it up welcome to season four this is crazy i'm so excited i'm excited i'm happy to be here we're almost halfway through the podcast which is cuckoo banana bread um but if you enjoyed the podcast we hope that you guys leave us a review on itunes if you give us five stars and a written review we'll read it out loud and give you a shout out on twitter uh our twitter handle is at teen wolf underscore rewolf which is also our instagram handle and you can follow us on tumblr at teen wolf rewolf and our facebook group is teen wolf rewolf podcast come join the facebook group share the memes we're all friends um other than that 
Uh, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, uh, woo! woo.